2021 was an interesting year for gaming. In hindsight, there were no runaway choices for best game of the year when compared to some other years in the past. But I think that's a good thing because there was a high quality game for almost everyone that could have been considered for best game of the year. From roguelikes to metroidvanias to first person shooters and even games about unpacking boxes, there was no category of gaming that didn't have an elite entry. Since we are making the rules, we decided to bend them a little and choose two for best game of the year since there was too much quality across the board. So here are our top two games of the year that we played on console and some worthy mentions that just missed the cut. This week, on the Video Games Podcast. Our co-choice for best game of this year was a game that had very little time to build hype like the rest of the games on this list. If you look at the recent history of gaming, this method of a short time between announcement and actual release date usually leads to a more positive reception. Metroid Dread announced in June in Nintendo Direct and was released in October, and this is only a few months which helps slow down the hype train that can sometimes lead to disappointment if it gets going too fast. With Metroid Prime 4 already in the works and likely too big to cancel at this time, Metroid Dread feels like the last chance that the series had to prove to Nintendo that gamers care about this often forgotten about series. The last 2D Metroid was released in 2017 just months after the release of the Nintendo Switch for the Nintendo 3DS, and sadly, with that audience dwindling near the end of the handheld life cycle and the game not being released on the massively popular Nintendo Switch, Metroid Samus Returns sales severely underwhelmed. Despite Metroidvanias having a renaissance over the past five years with great games like Ori and Hollow Knight just to name a few, there was no safe bet that an original Nintendo Switch 2D Metroid game would be a success despite seeing some moderate success with Samus Returns on the 3DS. What seemed like a safer decision and much closer to Nintendo's history would have been a port of Samus Returns to the Nintendo Switch with just a few small improvements. Instead, they decided to double down on the foundation that Samus Returns laid and implement a brand new story, hence why Metroid Dread is also titled Metroid 5. Metroid Dread follows the plot from Metroid Fusion from 2002 when it was released on the Game Boy Advance, and this also could have been a problem because the Nintendo Switch has sold almost 100 million and the majority of those owners likely have never played a Metroid title. The good news here is that the story isn't weighed down by the past of the series, so new players can jump right in with zero problems and be fine, plus the game does a pretty decent job at the start with a little recap cutscene. Fans finally got what they wanted with a full 2D Metroid on a primary Nintendo console, and the reception could not have been better. Metroid Dread sold over 850,000 copies in its first month, according to Nintendo, and reviews were extremely favorable from critics and fans alike. The development of Metroid Dread combined original creator Yoshio Sakamoto, who knows Metroid inside and out, and Mercury Steam. Mercury Steam is reported to have pitched Sakamoto on doing a remake of Metroid Fusion for the modern age, which Nintendo declined, but since they liked the pitch so much, they brought the team on for the development of Metroid Samus Returns, and seeing what they were able to do with a remake on the 3DS, Nintendo gave them the green light for the first original entry in the series in almost 20 years. 
Metroid Dread did what you want from a good Metroidvania. It has a map that's diverse but memorable. It has great power-ups and great upgrades, great enemies, and great boss fights. But more importantly, it didn't wear out its welcome. Most people would rather have a tight 10 to 15 hour experience instead of a long and drawn out 30 hour experience that just features a lot of busy work. One of the biggest new aspects of Metroid Dread was the Emmys, which are robots that hunt you in certain areas. However, true to the tight experience, these areas were relatively short, a fun change of pace, and never overstayed their welcome. Metroid Dread was nearly perfect at every aspect of design, including a lot of little touches that showed just how passionate the developers were about making this game. From the way the light bounces in the area around Samus when she has her arm cannon charged, or when she automatically clambers onto ledges that seem just out of reach, or even how she fluidly changes into a morph ball when the area dictates it. Metroid Dread was one of the few games of the year that I played this year that was impossible to put down, and if you had to stop playing, you couldn't wait until you get to return and find something new that would push your journey just a little bit further than before. The other co-winner is the PlayStation 5 exclusive Returnal. Housemark had been one of the developers from the PlayStation 3 and PlayStation 4 that created unique arcade-style games that always had the signature of the studio. Dead Nation, Alien Nation, Rezogun, and Super Stardust HD would be the titles that most people are familiar with. Returnal was not only a massive departure from the size and the scope that Housemark was known for, which was already a risky proposition, but it was also a roguelite which is off-putting to many players, and despite the odds being stacked against the team, the success and quality Housemark delivered in spades. Having not released a game since the arcade shooter Next Machina in 2017, Housemark went silent and came back with an excellent game that screamed of AAA polish from a smaller team of around 80 people in 2020 that had mostly only released arcade titles. And considering the change of scenery from top-down and from arcade to full-fledged premium release, Returnal still featured the Housemark DNA. But Returnal goes much farther than just a glamorous looking game with tight controls. The story also slowly dives into the psyche of Selene, who is the astronaut that you're controlling, who is trying to figure out what is real and what isn't. And interspersed between the fast and frenetic gameplay is first person story elements that take place on an abandoned ranch house. The house section has a very strong PT vibe with its creepy sounds and darkened halls. Now it's getting farther in the game where you gain new story information about what has happened to Selene in her past. PT isn't the only game that has influenced Returnal as you can also see titans of the sci-fi genre including Metroid all the way to Aliens. Returnal is a PlayStation 5 exclusive and it shows. The 3D audio engine known as Tempest is working in full effect. There is constantly some creature or something from the environment making noise which heightens the atmosphere. The DualSense is also used to its fullest potential that we have seen so far. When there is rain falling, you feel the slight drops in your hands. When you want to fire your weapon, you hold the left trigger halfway down for primary and squeeze past the resistance point for the weapon's alternate fire mode. And these are just a few of the examples that Housemark took advantage of when programming exclusively for one console. 
The mechanics of Returnal are also perfectly balanced with risk versus reward. You have parasites, which can help and hinder you at the same time. You have malfunctions, which can get you closer to powerful items, but can also get you one step closer to system errors. And then you have things like weapon proficiency, suit integrity, and adrenaline boost, all that work harmoniously at the same time. The game also has a nice dash of Metroidvania sprinkled in as you unlock permanent powers that make the levels feel fresh dozens of hours in. My only downfall with Returnal at the time of review was more of a Sony PlayStation 5 problem as opposed to a housemark problem. The nature of roguelites is that runs can take a long time, but most allow you to save at some checkpoints and turn off your system. Housemark felt that allowing people to save would cause people to exploit the system, removing one of the core tenets of the game, which was difficulty. This would be a conversation for another time, but should you design the game for everyone and feature a suggested mode where you could remove the ability to save and a harder difficulty, I think sales would have been likely higher if the difficulty was able to be modified. The story was fantastic, so the reason not to get more people to experience it just seems confusing. Circling back to the main problem, no saves or checkpoints is fine because the PlayStation 5 has a rest mode and an SSD similar to the Nintendo Switch which allows you to suspend games, turn off the system, and return at any time. The problem here is that the PlayStation 5 rest mode is broken, meaning that many times during very lengthy runs of 1-2 to two hours plus, and sometimes much longer, when returning to my PlayStation 5 to resume my Returnal run, to my surprise and dismay, the PlayStation 5 would have crashed and rebooted, and this meant that all of the Returnal progress has been lost, and this happened multiple times. Now, if you get a hair in your food at your favorite restaurant, eventually it's going to be too much and you're not going to return. In October, Housemark announced Update 2.0, which added a suspend cycle, although it might have been too little too late for most people. It wasn't a traditional save point, which is what Housemark didn't want due to the exploitive nature of it in the first place. Instead, it was a one-time suspend point that would allow you to exit the game and turn off your PlayStation 5. The catch here is that you would only be allowed to resume from this suspend point once and after you did, it would be deleted permanently. Had this feature been in place at launch, without a doubt, sales and review scores would have been higher. Having returned to the game since the 2.0 update, it's safe to say that any problems that were in the game before are now a relic of the past. Returnal not only shocked me by the level of quality that Housemark was able to put into a AAA level game, but also shocked many other as was evident by the sales figures of the game. And in July of 2021, just months after release, Jim Ryan announced that the game had sold almost 600,000, which considering the install base of the PlayStation 5 at the time, which was just over 10 million, this is pretty great, especially when compared to something like Ratchet & Clank Rift Apart, which had sold just over a million at the same time, and that is more of a beloved classic series. Those are our two co-games of the year. I also want to give a shout out to two other games. First is Fist on the PlayStation 5, and I think if it wasn't for Metroid Dread, then Fist would have been the choice for Best Metroidvania of 2021. There's a lot to love about Fist, other than the name of it, of course. Forged in Shadow Torch has a slight meaning to the story, but it seems like such a missed opportunity for a different name that might have attracted more gamers to it. Either way, Fist has been paying attention to the genre and has made a very great entry, not only paying tribute to the grades, but also doing a lot of its own things as well. 
Our other honorable mention is Hitman 3, which I played on the PlayStation 5, and I don't know if it was the release window for Hitman 3 in January when things are typically quieter, or how the series made positive changes since 2016, or if it was released as a full game instead of episodes, or if the level design just spoke to me greater this time around. Now, whatever the case may be, Hitman 3 was the first Hitman game that I have ever rolled credits on. In the previous two Hitman games, at most I made it to a few different locations and then fell off hard. From the time you parachute down onto the Dubai skyscraper to the final train car in the Carpathian Mountains, Hitman 3 was a true joy to play where the levels actually made sense. It likely didn't hurt due to the fact that I played it on the PlayStation 5, which at the time was lacking some showpiece-style games that took advantage of the increased processing power and SSD to make the visuals pop and the game load much quicker during missions. Now, all of this has led to the anticipation level for the James Bond series that IOI is now working on after the finale of the Hitman trilogy, Very High. That's all for this week's episode of the Video Games Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope you enjoyed our console game of the year, 2021. If you did, consider subscribing if you haven't already. But more importantly, be nice to your fellow gamer and be nice to your fellow human. 